when I came across it, I said in my mind, that's, that's Waypoint. And that's exactly why we're doing what we're doing. That's why we started Waypoint. And um, this is, it goes like this. There is a higher purpose of adventure. An adventure simultaneously reveals who are we capable of becoming and nudges us in that direction. Even more, an adventure does the same for our children. Before they are plagued with doubts about what they can't do, a good adventure shows them what they can. And the more they hike the mountain or cross the river or stare at the stars, the more they will ask the bigger questions and believe in the bigger versions of themselves. Boom. (laughs) You ready? Yeah. Ready. All right. Welcome to The Point. So welcome to the podcast and our two special guests today are Dan Minnick and Adam Combs, the two co-founders of Waypoint Adventure. How are you both doing today? Doing well. Great. Thank you for having us, Steve. We have a lot to talk about today, but I wanted to kind of ask you both the story, the origin story of how you two met and why you decided to form together this this organization. So walk us through the first memory that you have of meeting each other and when you two became friends. Adam came to interview for a program coordinator position at Outdoor Explorations, where I was a program coordinator. We had had a program coordinator leave Outdoor Explorations. It was a nonprofit organization in Medford, Mass, that ran adventure programs, bringing people with and without disabilities together. So Adam came in and interviewed for a position. Uh, I was part of the team that interviewed him. What did you think when he walked through the door? What was your first impression of Adam? I don't remember having a first impression of Adam when he walked through the door, but I remember going home and talking to my wife about Adam and saying that I I liked him and thought he was uh, a great guy. And I remember the first day or so that we were together, we ended up going into a garage where we had all of our equipment stored. And I remember just having great conversation and hitting it off the bat pretty quickly and realizing this will this will be easy to work with this person. What was your thought when you walked in? My biggest my biggest memory of of kind of a takeaway from from meeting Dan was at the at the interview. Yeah, so I had come up from North Carolina to interview for a job at Outdoor Explorations. At the time Outdoor Explorations was I would say running more kind of adaptive recreation programs for people with disabilities. So providing recreation opportunities, just go out and go for a hike, that kind of thing. And my background was in, was more in education and specifically in outdoor education. So using the outdoors and adventure as a teacher, teaching social skills, character skills, environmental education stuff. The program director at the time and I had talked about how outdoor explorations had wanted to start taking programs in that direction, less recreation, more adventure education or education type programs. And I remember coming in and interviewing and just based on the questions Dan was asking me, and I don't remember, I don't remember specific questions, but based on the questions that he was asking me, I realized, you know, he gets it. He understands that there is more, there's more opportunity here within, within these experiences, within the challenge and the community. There's, there's lots of educational opportunity here. And I, I could see right away, he gets it. He, I can work with this guy. 
I think we could develop some pretty cool programs. Speaking of programs, when was your, do you remember your first program together? Yeah, we ran a lot of programs together through Outdoor Explorations, but I don't remember the first one. Is is there any that stick out in your mind? It was a hike out at Great Meadows National Wildlife Refuge, I feel like. Ah, was that the program where I made a participant cry? (laughs) (laughs) Yes, yes. Both faces just lit up. So can you talk about through that one experience? We've actually talked about this experience multiple times because this young man has is now grown up and has come back on programs as a young man when then he was, you know, a young boy. But it was, we had circled the group up in the shade. It was a very hot day and we were going to go around and uh, welcome everyone. And so I was leading at, it was one of, if not Adam's first program. And so I'm welcoming the group and asking everyone to introduce themselves. And typically we would ask them to maybe share something about themselves or what they were looking forward to that day. And we got to this young man and uh, I said, and what's your name? And he just full on broke down and sobbed. And I I was sort of, (laughs) they're looking like, did I say something wrong? Uh, I'm not setting a very good impression for the new employee. Uh, Yeah, yeah. And yeah. So what did you do? What what was your course of action? I I have no memory of that. I don't remember either. I don't remember either. I can see the, I can see his face though. Yeah. Oh man. Uh, obviously you ran a couple couple programs to speak on the low end uh together when did you decide or when when did you start thinking about you could start doing this yourself that organization started having problems or problems became more acute during the recession in 2008 they lost several of their major funders and the organization began laying staff off and the more staff they laid off, the more responsibility came to Adam and I. And uh, I remember at some point, you know, looking at each other and feeling like, I think there are more efficient ways of doing what we're doing. Do you think we could make that happen together? So it didn't just stop with them starting to lay administrators off. I mean, it basically came down to it was Adam and I and a director and a outreach coordinator. And then they let us know that it was probably likely that they were going to be laying us off too. And so it became a, not just a question of could this be done more efficiently, but could it be done at all? And so we wrote a letter to the board of directors at the time and said, we don't want to see this end. We've been working together now for two years. Uh, I had been working there for a couple of years prior to that and then volunteering even earlier than that. So I'd been around the organization for a while and loved what it was doing and the impact it was making on people's lives in the community. And So Adam and I wrote a letter to the board of directors and said, would you consider entrusting us with some more responsibility or autonomy? And if everybody else needs to go, you know, we'll, we would be willing to try and keep this going and receive the response back. Basically, you know, we're, we've made a decision that we're going to close. Even though you were like, I'm willing to take on more responsibility. I'm willing to do the work. Yes. And so we were laid off in May of 2010. And had been, you know, having conversations together, just the two of us, and then our families, and then even back to the organization saying, listen, if we get laid off, we are considering starting something else and receive permission. Well, that's fine. If you if you would like to even tell people and organizations that we're currently serving that we may be closing and you may be starting something else, we had permission to do that. So it was all uh, out in the open. Um, and so we got laid off in May told each other we would take a couple weeks to go and really seriously talk to our families and consider, 
Is this something we want to do or not? It ended up being, I think it was a couple days. We were on the phone like, ah, oh, let's do this, dude. We can do this, you know? Uh, so it wasn't that long. I, I have a very, my, my perspective and my remembrance of that story is very similar. I think we were having a lot, I remember having a lot of fun. Uh, we were having a ton of fun just designing programs, making partnerships, trying to figure out how to run the most effective outdoor education and adventure education programs for people with disabilities that we could. You know, we both kind of had a similar mind for there's powerful teaching opportunity here. And so we were just having a ton of fun doing that. And it was it was kind of felt like we can figure out the nonprofit thing. <laughs> Oh, we we've never I have no business experience at all but what how hard can that be you know in 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 2008 9 10 right a horrible time for the economy we just we were young man we were naive so then after that phone call what was like what was the first couple things that you did yeah, so the first thing you have to do is file paperwork with the state and the federal government. And so we found those forms and filled out page one and filled in one of our home addresses for the address of the organization and got to page two and didn't even understand what the question was asking. And that was the end. And so we realized this is a whole lot more difficult than we anticipated we need help because we can't do anymore. And so I think it was Adam's dad called us and said, I will give you X amount of money if you use it to hire an attorney. And uh, so we found through, and again, some family connections, found an attorney who's now on our board of directors to file the paperwork with the federal government. Yeah, I, rem I remember having that feeling of like, somebody gets paid to do this, right? <laughs> like somebody actually knows how to answer this question, yeah. We were, we were in over our heads very quickly. Yeah, immediately. Yeah, yeah. Oh, and the other the other fun thing was uh, the debate over or the, the quest to find a name. We had sessions where we invited as many friends as we thought we knew who were creative, and we would put up those sticky white papers around my living room, and we would have these brainstorming sessions of just coming up with names. And somebody would sit over in the corner as we came up with good names and would Google search, does this exist, you know? And you're competing with everybody in the world. So there could be, you know, True North or whatever adventures in Australia. And all of a sudden, .com is taken and, you know, you, it's not going to work. So the quest for a name was one of the, the hard first mm -hmm. wow. things that we had to do. One of the things I'm hearing as we're talking about this or remembering is just thinking about literally when my father-in-law said, this is more difficult than you think it is. I'll give you some money if you'll hire an attorney, you know. That was the first instance of just pure goodwill, you know, just people just recognizing you guys have a cool idea and this is going to this is going to improve our communities um and our society and I want to help you make it happen, you know. Mm -hmm. You know people are like, "Oh, you and Dan have done a great thing." It is not me and Dan. Me and Dan had an idea and we kind of got the ball rolling, but there are a lot of people that have supported this thing and pushed it along and uh, sometimes I feel like we're kind of just stumbling along just you know trying to put out fires and answering people's questions and keeping the ball moving but so many other people have invested in this thing to keep it going so a side question do you remember who came up with the name Waypoint Adventure I remember it was Dan 
I remember it was just, I came to your house to work. Maybe I'd ridden the train in and was sitting on your couch in Newton. You came down the steps with a piece of paper or something. And you're like, what do you think about Waypoint? And I remember literally it was like, I stood up. I was like, that's it. Does anybody have that name? Uh, and he was like, yeah, there's tons of churches. And Well, at that time, no, there weren't. Oh, okay. But now there are. Yeah. yeah, there's Waypoint Church. And apparently the state of New Hampshire has renamed their Department of Children and Family Services Waypoint. Yeah. So it's good. It was, it was a good choice. Similar struggle with the logo, uh, with the design of the logo, right? I mean, these little things that you would just wouldn't. It's like, these are things I do not want to be dealing with. I want to be running adventure programs. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Why do we? I think oh, that's yeah. What a lot of people don't yeah it takes a lot to move the ship. yeah you gotta have a name and a url and a logo and a tagline and a mission statement and the right forms filled out anyway we kept saying and for years and i think i have still heard you and i say this to people that we got in the into this because we believed in the power of adventure education programs so you got the paperwork done and you got some money and you figured out a name and a logo and all of these things. After you figured all that out, what was what was the first program that you ran? And what was that like? The sailing program was our first program, wasn't it? With Piers Park Sailing Center. Maureen McKinnon Tucker. Great lady. I, I, rem- I just remember, I, I don't remember all the details, but I do remember her saying, I want to help you guys get going. Come to the come down to the dock and bring a group and we'll, you know, we'll take you sailing. So we that program was with a... Uh, school called the May Institute mm-hmm. or the May Center, which is down in Brockton. And this fall, Waypoint just hired a young man who graduated from the May Center and has been participating in programs since that one in 2010 with Waypoint through now uh, to be an equipment manager at Waypoint. And what what was that program like? Sailing wasn't our favorite genre of programs, which is why we're not doing any more of them. But yeah, Pierce Park Sailing Center and Courageous Sailing and Community Boating are all doing sailing programs. And all of them, as far as I know, are working on making sailing accessible for people with disabilities. And so we just have been, the people who we hear are interested in sailing will direct mm-hmm. over to their programs. But And we none of us, we just don't have that skill. We just aren't sailors. So it's even much easier to just say, go down there and go, go see those guys. It must have been pretty cool to say, hey, we're Waypoint Adventure for the first time. Yeah. <laughs> I remember the first time we got a t-shirt printed. Yeah. And then it felt official. Yeah. We had a t-shirt. Yeah. <laughs> After the sailing program, what other programs were happening during that time? We did some team building programs uh, with a few other schools. And then in the winter, so the new year of 2011, we went and met with a school in, uh, it's part of Boston Public Schools in East Boston. We met with some of their administration. Outdoor Explorations had been facilitating uh, several programs, like four programs a year through some grant funding. So they could basically offer a free program to students there four times a year. And we met with the administration and they said, listen, we love the programming that you do, but we don't want you here just four times a year. We'd like you here once a week to work with all of the students in our special education classes. What would that cost for you to be here once a week for the rest of the school year? And Adam and I had never come up with a number that big before, but we sort of, you know, pulled out the calculators and did, did a quick some quick math and told them, well, that's going to be about $15,000. And they said, well, we don't have $15,000. And we said, all right, well, we don't have any grant funding either. And if we're going to make this work, we need to somehow pay for it. So, well, maybe we'll talk to you later. 
And we went away. We walked away from that meeting. And two and a half weeks later, they called us back and said, well, we found 12,500. What could you do for 12,500? And we said, we'll be there next week. And uh, we've been, we've continued to run programs at that school with all of the students in their special education classes. And the series now looks like each student or each classroom gets a five-week series that alternates between a team-building program and going on an adventure where they are uh, talking about practicing their school behavior code or concepts in their classroom that their teacher is focusing on like a character or a social skill. The, the other one I remember, the other programs I remember that stand out in my mind were the open enrollment programs that we ran through the town of Sudbury. So Waypoint runs programs in two different formats. There's custom group formats and open enrollment programs. And custom group formats are partnerships with schools and social service agencies. So groups that are already intact, already working together, school classrooms, that kind of thing. Open enrollment programs are just programs that we put on the calendar and are open to the general public. So we'll put a adaptive rock climbing program on the calendar and anybody can call and sign up for that program and, and get registered for that program. So it ends up being kind of a mixed group of individuals from the community coming out to go and, and experience an adventure together. And I remember we partnered with this, the town of Sudbury, Mass. Had a ton of snow that year and ran a few snowshoeing programs out at the Assabet River Wildlife Refuge. They were just They were just fun programs, big groups of people, I just remember those were the first ones where it was like, this is a real kind of from beginning to end Waypoint Adventure program. I remember that we did a moment of solo, which we do on on a few of our programs. And we love when we have the opportunity, especially in quieter reservations or more nat- or natural areas where the group has an opportunity. And we encourage the group to spread out and take a moment of quiet silence. Even a minute, you would you you know you'd be surprised at how long a minute lasts. But I remember we got we hiked all the way out to that pond. I think it's called Puffer Pond at uh, at the Assabet River Wildlife Refuge, and we spread everybody out and we said, all right, we're gonna take I don't even remember what it was a minute, two minutes of just silence. Just sit still, maybe close your eyes if you want. We're just gonna be quiet. And um, we did, and we and then we come back together, and we asked what people heard and noticed, and I just remember that being a very powerful, like, oh my goodness, this is happening, you know. And it's already in, in those moments in particular for me, you can really feel people experiencing nature and community in a way that maybe they've never done before, you know. And so I don't know, I just remember being really moved by that that little five minute solo or however long it was, you know. So at your other organization, you were running adventures for people with and without disabilities. And I know that Waypoint is trying to enact that. But before, when you were in the early stages, why did you decide to just run adventures for people with disabilities and not both? I think you can look at that uh, and parse out or decide were, at least when we were there at Outdoor Explorations, were programs that we were running inclusive. And I would say there those programs that we were facilitating at Outdoor Explorations, uh, the ones that brought in people from the general public and the school programs, are the same kinds of programs that we're running at Waypoint. So both at Outdoor Explorations and at Waypoint, there are times when we are able to get a group of people that's already formed with disabilities to partner with a group of people without disabilities and go on an adventure. So we've done that with Best Buddies, where Best Buddies will gather a group of students from a special education class and a group of students from general ed at a local high school and bring them together, and Waypoint is able to facilitate an adventure together. And that's inclusion, or it's a picture of uh, one definition of inclusion. 
Yeah, no, I think I think Dan's talking about, you know, this term inclusion is a big it's a big term, you know. And yeah, when Waypoint talks about quote unquote inclusive programs, the way we define it is when people with and without disabilities are sharing in the costs and rewards of an experience. So everybody's invested financially, they've pay, all paid the program price, blah blah blah, right? And, and then they get to experience the adventure together as this cohesive unit. Another way that, that inclusion can be defined is just giving access to people with disabilities, giving, them, giving access to them to other community, you know, in other community realms, giving access to the rock climbing gym, giving access to some of these state and, and private, you know, uh, parks. And so, you know, we, Waypoint, you know, I would say no matter how you define that term, Waypoint is running those types of programs. You know, so not all of our programs have people with and without disabilities paying that program price and going together on the experience. Some of our some of our groups are just, you know, groups of folks with disabilities, especially when we partner with some of these other agencies that are that are serving folks with disabilities. But in those in those contexts, we're giving people access to the community, you know, uh, and allowing them to get out and and be a part of, of community life just like everyone else. If you're listening and you're someone without a disability that wants to come and be a part of a unique community, if you're uh, you know someone with a disability that wants to become a part of a unique community of folks with and without disabilities or, or, or of various abilities, you should sign up. You should, you should reach out and figure out where those programs are happening and, get, and join in. Why should they sign up? There have just been some really cool stories in particular. One of our earliest programs uh, that we went and summited a mountain in New Hampshire. And so we had a, a group of people with and without disabilities who drove up to New Hampshire to summit Mount Willard. And one of the young men on the program who did not have a disability came home and his dad asked him, so how was it helping people with disabilities? And he really quickly responded, oh, dad, it wasn't like that. We were actually just this group of people who had this goal of getting to the top of the mountain. And some of us had to pull the rope that was attached to the sit ski, kind of like a dog sled, to get people to the top. And other people were sitting in the sit skis telling jokes and handing out snacks and providing, you know, morale boosts. And so we were just this group of people out for a hike. And we hadn't told him to say that, right? This was his perception of... When we communicated, these are our goals today, and this is what our vision is for why we're going to try and get to the top of that mountain. He caught it and uh, was able to communicate it very eloquently back to his dad. Yeah, he received as much as he gave. Uh, Another really fun story from last summer was a couple who are in their 60s and uh, have been wanting to come in. They had been donors, were wanting to come and volunteer and signed up for a kayaking program in the Boston Harbor and got there and we were organizing our group and they don't have a disability. But as we're partnering people up to paddle these large tandem sea kayaks, the wife told us, hey, I'm really nervous about steering. And so, well, we talked to her and her partner and her partner was uh, a gentleman who was an adult in his 30s or 40s who is blind. And so we just had them reverse or switch seats. And so he went in the back of the boat and was in charge of the steering. And she sat in the front and became his eyes to be able to provide uh, directions. And they communicated a week or so after that they had gotten together for dinner uh, several times in the the following weeks after the program and hadn't ever met each other before. So just a cool opportunity for people to uh, see each other differently and uh, then form community and relationships and and friendships where there weren't before.
Kind of wanted to jump a little bit ahead and talk about what is your day-to-day life as co-directors of Waypoint. So what I love about my day-to-day at Waypoint is it's often very different one day to the next. So yeah, I can go from being on a program, right, where I'm packing the truck, facilitating a program, to hosted 24 middle school students who are considering, you know, making a donation to Waypoint. And so I was dressed up in khakis and a button-down shirt and was, you know, uh, talking with the director of their program, trying to present Waypoint as a, a good investment for them to make. So a lot of different, I, I get to wear a lot of different hats. Can I just add, usually my, my favorite way to talk to funders is by getting them to come visit a program and then encouraging them to get in the kayak and participate along with uh, the folks that are kayaking or going to the climbing gym and watching and participating with the class who's rock climbing. So in case anybody got the wrong picture of what it looked like for me, uh, trying to persuade people to make an investment in, in making adventure education accessible. Dan dressing up in khakis and a button down is not a common occurrence. <laughs> yeah. There's a, there is a, a school in Newton called Pheasanton School. So it's a, a preparatory school for boys. And I think starting in second grade, they start wearing suit jackets. And uh, I went to make a presentation at this school. Again, they were considering, um, or they were doing a fundraiser to raise money for, for Waypoint. And so I thought, well, this is my chance to get dressed up. So I wore a suit jacket to the school and I got there and I walk into the school and I look around and I went to the school on Hawaiian day. So all the boys are dressed in Hawaiian shirts and stuff and I'm there in my suit jacket. So I went back to the truck and I found a life jacket and a pair of swimming trunks that I put over my suit pants and I took off my suit jacket and put my life jacket on to give my presentation. I felt much more at home. Well, wake up and eat four eggs, salt and pepper, (laughs) fried. Uh, Yeah. And I think the thing that stands out to me in that, Dan, is the thing that got us into this was programs. You know, like our heart, my uh, I can speak for myself here, my heart is in the programs. Like that being continuing to be a healthy mix in the daily routine, I think is, or at least the weekly routine is for me going to be something that I want to try to keep going is I want to be on a program a week, you know. It's funny, I, I asked this question to a couple people recently, and I haven't gotten super thorough answers yet, but as an executive director of an organization, what does your day-to-day look like, you know? And it's all over the map, you know, depending on the organization and what their mission is. But one of the things I think for me personally, a lot of the work that I do on a day-to-day basis is rooted in the need for us to continue to be kind of pushing the organization forward. As you continue to push the organization forward, How have you seen Waypoint change and how has that affected your own communities and family? Yeah, I mean, for me, I think the the thing that that makes me think about is just how people with kind of our, our family is surrounded with and involved with people with a variety of different ability levels. It's been it's been really cool to watch my kids. You know, they're still young, but, you know, they don't. They don't shy away from or are f- initially fearful of or hesitant to be around people with disabilities. I don't want to say they don't see disability. You know, I think they notice something different, but they see so much that's the same that it kind of it just becomes kind of commonplace. And it's been fun to 
I, I, there are moments, there are many moments when I see, we were just hanging out. Matter of fact, right down the road from here, our friend Tim, we were down there on New Year's Day hanging around, hanging out with Tim. And, you know, he was chasing Jesse in his chair and Jesse was kind of playing this little cat and mouse game with Tim. And, and I had this moment of like, this is, this is pretty awesome that to Jesse, Tim is Tim, you know, like there's no difference. Another person who does life a little bit differently than I do, you know, but he, there's no stark fear or hesitancy. Uh, and I think that's just by the, by default of what dad does, you know, and they don't realize that yet, but they will, you know, that this was kind of a, it's a, it's a common conversation in our house. And then as far as some of the other communities, I think, yeah, I mean, church communities, other friend groups, you know, I constantly get emails or a picture or something about, you know, some, some friends that maybe aren't around folks with disabilities that often will come across an article in the times about disability. Hey, did you see this? You know? And so they know that, you know, this has kind of become a part of their community too. And they're aware of it, which I think is cool. You know, they, they're paying attention to, oh, Adam does this every day. He's around this community every day. I wonder how he interprets this, you know? So I think it's putting it's putting the disability, the importance of disability access on people's radar. I, when we first started, we were working out of our homes. And Waypoint is now on the campus of Cotting School, right? A school with 125-year-old history. The premier schools in the country serving kids and young adults uh, with disabilities. And um, so I... I I'm very grateful for the opportunity to be, you know, on that campus and just there's so much synergy that happens from being in that community. And yeah, from going from our homes, right, to multiple different offices and, and ending up at Cotting School has just been an awesome home base for Waypoint. Yeah, I recently was told by uh, a friend, we, we moved in the last three years. So the, this friend was, uh, we, we went to church together and he was telling me how the church is now uh, redoing the bathrooms and they're making them accessible. And right. This was one of the things that I was pushing for when I was a part of that community and he was excited to report. And I'm, I'm sure there are probably other reasons than just Dan was pushing for it three years ago that they're doing it now. But I feel proud that I was a part of making a space accessible. I, I love hearing how what Waypoint is doing is still having impacts, you know, beyond once I'm out of, you know, uh, that particular community. Um, that's the hope is that the the ripple of seeing people doing more than they think they're capable of doing uh, is influencing, you know, much more than just their own lives, but rippling throughout you know, our communities. Dan, you should tell the story about coming down off Mount Willard. All right. So, yeah, last winter we were up in New Hampshire uh, in Crawford Notch. There's a little summit called Mount Willard. And we have gone up there seven years in a row and stayed in an Appalachian Mountain Club lodge. And um, we were coming down off the summit. And as it's a, it's a very popular hike. It's one of the best views in the White Mountains for the effort. And uh, in the wintertime, it's just beautiful. And so we're coming down and we're passing people who are traveling up. And time after time after time, as we would pass a person or a group on their way up, they would stop and look at us and say, are you okay? Is there anything we can do to help? Assuming that we had just rescued somebody uh, off the top of the mountain who had been injured because they were sitting in a sitski. Some of the people, I, I am convinced that there were some people in that group who are regular volunteers or guests of the Highland Center and had done this hike on weekends when we had been there previously because I recognized some of them. And yet they still stopped and asked us this. 
And uh, my takeaway was, while I'm grateful that they were willing to, to offer help, that I wish we had been more of a n- normal group to them and that it wasn't this anomaly that somebody with a disability was up on the mountain that day. But this is this should just be more normalized, that there's people out there who may need a sit-ski to go up and look at the view, just like you use uh, snowshoes or micro spikes, right? Or uh, trekking poles because your knees are red. Um, I don't stop and ask you every time I pass you if you need assistance because your knees may be sore, you know? So do you feel like a waypoint is putting their foot in the door in terms of getting the word out that people with disabilities can do these things? Absolutely. Yeah. We just finished up some some work with an organization out of North Carolina called Second Nature Trek, and they they are kind of a research organ, uh, consulting group that help do uh, organiz- programs like ours, specifically in the outdoor education adventure space, figure out how to do research and improve effectiveness of programming. And we brought them in to help us develop a research and evaluation plan, three to five year plan to help guide uh, ways that we can track progress or growth through these experiences. And when, when we brought them in, we brought them in to say, we're doing these programs. Can you help us develop some way to identify the impact on the participants? That was in our mind. You know, what's the impact on participants? So we did some focus groups and had lots of conversations with families and individuals and teachers. And and through these focus groups, so, that, so then they went away after these focus groups and kind of synthesized all the data and came back and said, guys, there's one first thing we want you to be aware of, and we think it's one of the biggest findings of this whole thing that's going to guide the rest of the plan, is the impact isn't just on the individuals. And they created this little graph that, that showed uh, individuals, families, communities, and society. And they said, we need to now figure out what is the impact on each of these, uh, each of these uh, groups of, of people. Because it's, the impact of your programming is not just on the participants. It's on their families, it's on their communities, and it's really on society as a whole. And one of the things that instantly jumped to mind was some of our adaptive rock climbing programs down at Central Rock Climbing Gym you know, we go run these programs and not all the time, but many times I'm stopped and people just, or, or some of our participants are stopped and just people are recognizing, oh my goodness, you know, you're a full-time wheelchair user. Uh, I would not have guessed that you'd been able to do this, you know? And so our, our larger community and maybe in some senses our society are getting a chance to see people with disabilities doing things that they would have never thought were possible for them. And so, that's one kind of anecdotal experience or story of the truth that is uh, these adventures and these programs show to the world that we're all capable in our own way. We're all capable of achieving, you know, personalized goals. You could just run programs and not have to not worry about conducting research and finding, you know, answers to some of these larger questions. Why did you decide to go the route of doing all this research, bringing in the third party group to kind of look at your programs and say, hey, here's all the benefits? Well, we can tell stories all day long of things that happen. We often talk about how, you know, uh, the, the evaluation used to be that kid had a different look in his eye than when he came, you know, when he left and when he came. I don't know what that is, but 
something happened in him, you know? And so there's a little bit, a little bit of his just curiosity. What is happening? You know, uh, what is, how is this going to impact their life? Right. So a little bit of its curiosity, a little bit of its, you know, folks who are supporting us financially want to see, they want to know, you know, Hey, is my, is my donation going to making what impact, you know? Uh, so there's, there's a funding component to it. We want to improve our program. So, if, as we're doing some of this research and evaluation, we're finding that one program is proven to be a bit more effective than the other. Maybe we spend a little bit more time and energy focusing on kind of de- continue to develop and build out that program. Or, you know, we, we want it to kind of drive a little bit where we feel like Waypoint's going and, and what programs we should be focused on and program designs we should be focused on. But a lot of it, I think, for me is just out of curiosity. You know, what is happening here? Or there's something happening here. I would add Harvard just down the street from here, Princeton, Wharton Business School, all have adventure education programs. Local high schools all over Greater Boston are building ropes courses on their campuses. 20% of the U.S. population has a disability, and largely, adventure education is currently inaccessible to people with disabilities. Waypoint will never be large enough to serve every person with a disability through adventure education programs. If we can prove that adventure education is impactful for people with disabilities in the same way it's impactful enough to uh, encourage Harvard, Princeton, Wharton Business School to have adventure education programs, then maybe we can be a part of making adventure ed accessible to people with disabilities, period, regardless of whether Waypoint's serving them and providing it or not. We're not going to do that without some research, some uh, you know, evaluation proving that that's the case. Yeah, so it puts it puts adventure education on the map as a viable option for learning real life skills. Yeah. Oh, one thing I wanted to ask you both was, do you have any big highlight moments from a program? Oh my, I mean, so many. All right, I usually try to say the one that's been impacting me most recently, right? Because uh, that's just that'll be the one that I'm most passionate about at the moment. So we got to talking this past year about trying to think through this idea of dosage, right? How many programs or how much time on an adventure does it take to to impact somebody? And I think there are lots of reasons why more time or extended time on an adventure is more impactful. But at the same time, I have stories of people who have expressed, wow, this, this afternoon really impacted me. And one from, so I got an email from a gentleman after a program this summer, we went kayaking on Walden Pond and he capsized his kayak unintentionally and had a really hard time getting back into the boat. And uh, several of us stuck with him. He wanted to swim to shore to try and get in. We kept, you know, encouraging him that, no, you can re-enter your kayak in the middle of the pond. You can do this. And he eventually did it. And he sent me an email uh, that evening just expressing how that day meant so much to him and how he had been in a funk uh, since the passing of his father six months or so within that year and how that afternoon just communicated to him how much he still had to live for. And um, then, so that was the summer. And then I got an email from him over the holidays and just, again, communicating how much that afternoon, six months ago, uh, meant to him and how he remembered details from that uh, experience and was still thinking about it and wondering what he could do over the next several months uh, to get outside with Waypoint. And 
So I, I've, I've shared that story a couple of times recently just because it impacted me in that it was just an afternoon on Walden Pond. It, it wasn't a three-day trip up Mount Willard in New Hampshire. It wasn't, you know, uh, this overnight backpacking experience. Do you have a highlight? One that just will forever be a big impact for me was on a kayaking program, young lady, full-time wheelchair user, Actually, a adult lady now, full-time wheelchair user, has cerebral palsy. We on a kayaking program. We, her and her partner, were in a tandem boat. Uh, we were all. It was an all-day paddle. We were going down the Charles River. We kind of had a plan to go out to this little island for lunch. You know, kind of a point A to point B and back. It was a fairly long paddle. And her and her program partner uh, or her boat partner were just having a hard time paddling. They were kind of tic-tacking all the way down the river, probably paddling double the distance that everyone else was. It was one of those days where it just felt like the wind was in your face no matter which way you went, whether going down river or back, it was always in your face. I was personally physically exhausted. I mean, it was just kind of a long day of kayaking. And as we're coming back, we round this point, little kind of jetty of land, we rounded this point and it blocked the wind. And so there was this kind of calming and, you, and we could see about 100, 150 yards away, the boat launch and the van and things were kind of coming to a close. And the whole last half of the trip, nobody in the group was talking. Like there was an obvious exhaustion, you know. And we round this corner and I was kind of in the middle of the group. The other instructor was in the back of the group. And so I knew I needed to get up ahead of everybody to help get folks out of the water. And so I'm paddling and I, I paddle past this lady's boat. Again, nobody's saying anything. I'm not saying anything. And I just hear her say out loud, you know, I need to do this more. And in my head, I'm like, I, I just want to be done. <laughs> you know, I don't know what you're talking about. I'm tired. I don't know if I want to do this again, you know. But in my head, I'm like, yeah. And I looked at her and I'm like, you know, why did you say that? And so we're paddling next to each other. And she said, it just reminds me that I can it reminds me that I can do something hard and get through it, you know, and inside I'm just celebrating, you know, I was like, yes, that's exactly right. I didn't respond to her. I just kind of nodded my head and got up there and kind of helped continue to get people back or get people out of the, out of their boats. And I helped get her transferred into her chair and the rest of the group was moving up to do this closing circle. And I walked up next to her and I grabbed her arm and I was like, listen, if there's nothing else you learn today, if there's nothing else you remember from this experience, I hope that that's the one thing you remember from this experience is you can. Tomorrow morning when your alarm clock is going off and you're laying there and all you want to do is hit snooze and pull the covers back over your head because you're like, I can't do this again today. Just remember, you can. And so that's that was... I still get chills when I talk about it. I mean, that, that was, for me... We're doing the right thing here, you know, because the same it shows it shows the same things. Adventure does the same things for me, you know, and I want it to do the same things for my kids. You know, I want them to go and have these experiences that are difficult in nature, you know, uh, with the support of a community and their family to realize like there's a bigger world out here and I'm a part of it and I can be a part of it, you know. And I think that that story just exemplifies so much of Waypoint's purpose and mission, you know, for me.
I wanted to do a quick question blast and just get your like initial takes on them. Favorite program type and why? Rock climbing. I just personally like to rock climb. Kayaking because I love anything on the water. Hardest part of your job and the most fulfilling part of your job. Hearing people say they're not interested or willing to fund programs. Yeah, it's hard not it's hard not to take it personally. It's hard to understand why. It's hard when you don't get a why or you can't find the why. Yeah, the hard that's the hardest part of my job. What's the most fulfilling? Hearing people's experiences, watching people get to do these kind of things for the first time is the most fulfilling part of my job. Goodness, Steve, I don't know, man. <laughs> hardest part of my job is Running a nonprofit is still a big learning curve. All the components that go into being, you know, running a business, a, a, a real kind of short up business, fundraising, budgeting, you know, all those things are still big learning curves for me. Aspects of them I like, much of it is challenging. Most fulfilling part of your job? Most fulfilling part of my job, yeah. Running programs and hearing people say, this reminds me that I can. I got some heavy hitters on here. Why do you think adventure is so important for people with disabilities? They've previously thought it wasn't possible or it's just been, it's not been an option for them to try. Yeah, I'll go back to my quote. The more they hike the mountain or cross the river or stare at the stars, the more they will ask the bigger questions and believe in the bigger versions of themselves. Just like everybody else. Right. So why is adventure important is the question. People with disabilities are people. What would you like to see happen slash change in terms of disability rights? People with disabilities will be seen as people with ability. I think if that, if that, if people, if that mindset change can happen, access will be created, options will be given. In some senses, the fight will be over in my mind. Like if people with disabilities would be seen as just as people, just like Dan said, just like everybody else, full of talent and strength and ability in their own unique way, just like all of us, I think we'll see a lot of, a lot of rights given to, to people with disabilities. Yeah. yeah, right now the world is not fully accessible. So I'd like to see the world become fully accessible. Okay, last one real quick. Biggest takeaway from Waypoint? Man, sometimes it's just worth going for it. And it takes a community, right? So this doesn't happen unless the community believes in it and invests in making it happen, right? So we can't do this just by ourselves deciding that we want to do it. It's taken a lot, hundreds, hundreds and thousands of people believing in enough to give up their time, their financial resources, uh, their expertise to make adventure education accessible. Yeah, I don't have anything different. Community is a big, 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 big takeaway for me too. Yeah, Dan and Adam didn't do this by the way you know that's what i want to make clear in this whole thing we had an idea and we launched it and lots of people jumped in so
Well, thank you all so much for listening to The Point. And remember, it takes a community. Thank you to Ben Bursell for the original theme song, Austin Corbett for the podcast graphic, all the people who are interviewed for the podcast, including Adam Combs, Dan Minnick, Julia Spruance, Kelsey Gross, Mary Sibeli, Will Haas, and Lydia McClymans, and the countless others who helped make this all possible. If you've enjoyed listening to this episode, please listen to our other episodes. Till next time.